There exists an English legend, the truth of which is up for debate. In the 12th century, a pair of children were seen climbing out of a wolf pit. They had no immediate family, they did not speak any English, and perhaps most strangely, they were said to have green skin. Today, we look at the fact and fiction behind the story of the green children of Woolpit. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to Red Web, the show all about the unsolved behind this world of ours, everything from true crime to internet mysteries and conspiracies, and sometimes some just a trickling of cryptids and aliens in there. I like to zest it up. I am your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins, and joining me hearing about this mystery for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. Gather around, Task Force, another week, another tale. This one's weird. I saw your eyebrows go way up they, to your hairline when I yeah, said wolf pit. They, they shot up there. They're now connected to my hairline. <laughs> that would be very weird looking. So surprising. <laughs> okay, Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> with no eyebrows. Just blended in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this, the first half was already very interesting. Mm -hmm. Children coming out of a wolf pit. Yeah. And, but now we're throwing in green skin. Green skin. That's the hook of it all. And that's what we do here. If you're new to the task force and you're new to Red Web, what we try to do is break down the backstory and then give you the theories trying to answer that. But we also try to bring a pragmatic lens to assess, is this folklore? Is this a story? And we're going to get into all that. But green skin is definitely the cornerstone of this interesting story. I'd never heard of this one. Look, I mean, over time, if you shove people things in an environment they will adapt but sure, that that takes sure. tens of hundreds of years for evolution to to, to take its you know right. to do its thing unless it's the early 2000s and you you're know. watching the x-men flicks that's true it can the, it can happen the, like that a giant boost and then doesn't take so you kind of turn into putty right <laughs> um melt man um spoiler I mean, <laughs> ancient film at this point dust off the vhs you know, we always bring things back to movies, and the thing I can think of is The Descent, where it's yes. just like, the, the, the people just have lived mm -hmm. underground for so long that they have adapted, you know, echolocation they can't see, Yeah, that's just how they've lived. Absolutely. And film is our love language. It's the way I speak in metaphors to just say, that's like that movie. <laughs> um, but no, this one's really interesting. And when you said shove, I thought you were going to say something about, like, you know, you shove somebody filled with peas enough that their skin goes green just oh. like just like the recent you know there's a lot of stories coming out now about carrots people trying to eat a bunch of carrots to get beta carotene and the more beta carotene is in your system it kind of makes your skin a little bit more orangey so it gives you a kind of a tanny glow that's a big thing right now what yeah you're probably on the wrong algorithm on tiktok if you're not seeing that i think i got i got right i got freak talk is what i've got <laughs> yeah <laughs> Man, I kind of want to see like what the severe end of that is. Like, how orange do you really get? I'm gonna get you some carrots. We'll find out on case That's, files. I don't like carrots. Speaking of, <laughs> you don't like carrots? That would be an awesome episode of Case Files, though. <laughs> just make right? Alfredo eat a food he doesn't <laughs> yeah. like for like for like three months. He just eats oh, a bunch okay. of carrots he does not like. <laughs> oh my god. Ugh. Anyway, Case Files. Just a small announcement here, Task Force. It is coming back. So go ahead, subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash redwebpod, and gear up for some end-of-year episodes of Case Files. It is, as it was, a variety show about the mysteries of this world, 
digging into spooky stories, reacting to clips online, looking at tech, but also analyzing our Halloween special. And to kind of date this episode, we're recording this on Halloween. So happy Halloween here in the room. But yeah, the Halloween special, we went to the USS Hornet. It is out and available. Go check it out and head to Rooster Teeth, the app, the website, and you can watch us watch along with you. We did a kind of behind-the-scenes director's commentary style with that. If you want even more juicy details, first members also get deleted scenes, extended cuts, all the good stuff. Become a first member at redwebpod.com slash first. And now with all of our patting ourselves on the back and shout-outs and everything aside, let's dive into the green children of Woolpit. As always, as we dive into this episode, a list of our sensitive topics can be found in the description. In the 12th century, the people of Woolpit made a strange discovery. Woolpit, by the way, is a village in Suffolk, England, and by some accounts, this occurred in the year 1150, probably one of the oldest mysteries we've covered so far. Now, witnesses say they saw two children climb out of a wolf pit which is supposed to be used as a trap for wolves, as you can imagine, to protect livestock, things of that nature. Just a a deep pit to trap any sort of livestock predators. It's also how the village got its name, because humans are simple. We name things after what we see. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look at superheroes. Batman. (laughs) Spider-Man. Is that a man? And is he a bat? (laughs) Got it. Yep. It's it's a real easy naming convention. Mm Mm-hmm. So the two children that climbed out of this pit were a boy and a girl. They were alone, and they had no other people around them. They spoke what seemed to be an unknown language to the people of Woolpit, and it was only described as gibberish by all accounts. They also seemed to wear strangely colored clothing. On top of that, their skin itself was an odd color, green, and no one had any idea where these children had actually come from. They were then brought into the village and taken in by a squire, Sir Richard Kahn. He attempted to feed them, but they both refused to eat anything that he offered. In fact, the children were disgusted by almost any normal food offered to them. At some point, they actually discovered what's called a broad bean or a fava bean growing in his garden, and they picked up most of those that were growing and then ate them raw from the ground. As the story goes, they survived solely on these fava beans for months before gaining interest in any other type of food. Very strange behavior. I mean, honestly, probably like a healthy behavior, though. I mean, you're just eating like, I mean, you probably need more um, nutrients than that, but. If you're going to pick one thing, a vegetable is not a bad one. Yeah. It seems like this just, they live in their whole world. The, the, The things I'm curious about is like, how deep is this hole? Like, who birthed them? Who raised them? Yeah. Like, these are kids. How old again? We don't know. They're undetermined mm. age. Yeah, that's uh, true. Later we'll get as, and I'll kind of spill some of the fava beans here. The girl later grows up to learn a little bit more of English, and so she can give a little bit more detail about their encounter, but I think it was Whoa. assessed maybe what she was about 11. Yeah, we never had official ages. Based on artwork depicting the story, it, they're roughly seen to be around 8 to 10 okay. somewhere in that area, but yeah, there's no, there's never been a concrete number Got it. From Christian, fun. our man in the chair, everyone. Resident so, Googler. <laughs> speaking of that, since this is probably one of our oldest mysteries that we've ever done, what if, I mean, this is just more of like, I guess for myself and the task force to peek behind the curtains, like what is the difficulty behind researching something this far back, right? Like we've done stuff in the 50s and 
whatnot. And it's just, it's just like, okay, it gets more hearsay. But yeah. Like, what do we even have going this far back? For this mystery in particular, we'll actually talk about that exact mm -hmm. thing. Like the, it's that gut check, I'm telling you. Yeah, creepy. He's on it. And later in the theories, because yeah, the, the, the issue with the older mysteries and, you know, Jillian is obviously the, the, lead researcher and owns the the outline assembly at this mm -hmm. point you know trevor and i just kind of help when needed but the older the story is the more things can get lost through the passage of time so whenever we do older things we almost always have to add that qualifier of like this is what we can find but mm -hmm. you know it passes from this person to this person to this person and it turns into essentially a game of telephone so we really don't know how accurate it may be now as yeah. we're looking at it and reading it it can be quite maddening how flimsy our historical records can actually be. But that's also why we wanted to take the lens on this particular one. And like Christian said, we'll talk about it later, but the lens of, is this folklore, like, is this a legend? And if so, what was it maybe stemming from? Or is this a real story? And how can we assess it from that angle? What practical answers can we assess to it? So, and we'll get into all that with the theories, but um, suffice to say, this, uh, this mystery really gripped the town, the village because there were no known family members. They kind of came out of nowhere. Now, the wolf pit itself is an interesting, though light detail of the story. Uh, Christian, I would be curious how, how deep an average wolf pit would be, but later on, the kids start to tell stories about caves and other darker areas. So it's almost like, is the wolf pit itself a misnomer? That's something we'll also kind of assess. Yeah, because the thing is you've got to think when you go that far back, right, we only don't do certain things because we've learned from generations prior that it's just not efficient. But like when you go so far back and you have such a small circle in terms of like technological advancements and the way you think about like everything is just so young, the mm -hmm. mind itself, the human. Yeah, I think people back then were testing out, well, the weather like outside sucks. So let's just start building in caves or let's start living in caves. Let's start raising families in caves, you know? 100%. Like, it's, there's got to be a whole group of people that just dedicated their lives to being in caves because they just thought, like, that was the future. That was yeah. the most efficient way to live. You have people living in mesas. One of the popular ones I know of is Mesa mm -hmm. Verde out in kind of, like, mountainous areas of, like, Colorado and Utah and, like, in that arena, Arizona, things like that. But yeah, we talk about it slightly in the uh, Hollow Earth Theory episode. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to go like all the way to Hollow Earth, but then some people go, well, is there a pragmatic answer? Here are examples of either legends, folklore, or examples of people living subterraneously. But, but now the children, the, these green children, over time lost their green coloring. We don't know how long it was that it took them to lose it. And eventually they did also start eating regular food. The boy and the girl actually even started learning English. But the girl was ahead of the boy since he began to grow sickly. Again, the timeline is a little lost here. It's a little blurry. But we do know that he grew sickly not too long after being found. After becoming ill, he and the girl were actually baptized, though unfortunately soon after, the boy passed away. Eventually, the girl actually mastered English, becoming fluent in it, and then took the name Agnes and then married a man in Norfolk. Supposedly, he was an ambassador for Henry II. Now, once Agnes learned English, she could actually properly explain where she and her brother came from. So we have two quotes from her. Quote, We are ignorant of how we arrived here. We only remember this, that on a certain day, 
When we were feeding our father's flocks in the fields, we heard a great sound, such as we are now accustomed to hearing at St. Edmund's, when the bells are chiming. And whilst listening to the sound in admiration, we became on a sudden, as it were, entranced, and found ourselves among you in the fields where you were reaping. And the other quote we have is this, quote, The sun does not rise upon our countrymen. Our land is little cheered by its beams. We are contented with that twilight, which among you precedes the sunrise or follows the sunset. Moreover, a certain luminous country is seen, not far distant from ours, and divided from it by a very considerable river. End quote. So in this, she is not only describing how she went missing, what she remembers beforehand, but she also is now vividly describing uh, in this kind of old English way, the land in which she was living with her brother, or at least this boy. And it seems like it was perpetual twilight, which is interesting. Man, you're saying it, that old that old English, it's, you just kind of go, wait, hold on. It's all uh, twisted. Yeah. It's not so direct. And I go, uh, twas once that of the, huh? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, is. <laughs> yeah. So um, if it if it flew okay, over so your head, were, I can recount it. Yeah, if you recount need. that in non-English. Right. <laughs> so, less for me. Right, right, right. More so for those listening. Right. <laughs> right. For the buff ears out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So the first quote is kind of saying all they remember was feeding the animals in her father's farm. And that at some point they heard what this town would call church bells. And basically that's why she's referring to St. Edmund's. They're like, that's what it sounded like. Not that we knew it was church bells, we just admired the sound. And when we followed it, suddenly something happened. We were entranced by the sound. And then suddenly we were here where you guys were harvesting your crops, like time skipped. Meanwhile, the second quote is kind of saying that in this land that they were in, the sun doesn't really rise, nor does it set. It stays at a kind of twilight area. And that's where she says it's the same as ours near sunset and sunrise. So that dusk, dawn time frame, that's yeah. what she said it always looked like. And that another country, in fact, she calls this land the land of St. Martin or St. Martin's land. There's a, as she says, luminous country seen from this kind of homeland, this mysterious land, and that it was separated by a, quote, considerable river. This could be a lake. It could be an ocean. ocean yeah. um, but in some way, there was a land visible. And we'll kind of dive into that. But... It's a very interesting description, and if we're thinking about England, and if we're thinking about certain times of year, there are times where if you go north enough, I'm thinking like way north Scotland or Norway, Sweden, even more north, there are times where you can end up with a winter with no sunlight or a summer with all sunlight and a sweet spot in between where the sun just kind of kisses around the horizon. Ooh. That's just my kind of initial thoughts. Yeah, but worst case scenario, it's dark for mm -hmm. a month. Yeah, 30 days a night. Right, vampires coming. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, at first I was, uh, I actually got most of that. At first I was thinking, okay, this perpetual kind of like area, maybe that's the caves, but now it just seems like they're talking about a whole different realm altogether. 100%. Like this is just some, some weird place where time functions differently, light, the sun, all that functions differently. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, and they expand in other verbose ways. I don't have their quotes with me, but suffice to say, they talk about living in endless twilight, but they talk about living underground, which is kind of what you're picking up on. And they also said that everyone in the land of St. Martin, this 
place you could see across this body of water, also had green skin like these siblings once had. One version of the story even claims that the entire world was green, not just their skin. So let's just say, I don't know what plants they would have had in this mysterious land, but trees with green bark, green leaves, green grass, green sky, whatever. Everything was green. That's one version. Now, by some accounts, Agnes and her brother were helping with her father's cattle when they found actually a strange cave. This could be that kind of wolf pit misdirect potentially. Now, there's another version of this story that is subtly different, and it claims that they actually followed the cattle into this cave. But either way, they ended up going through a dark cave following the sounds of bells, which could be heard somewhere being struck in the distance, at which point they then kind of broke back out into sunlight and then became disoriented. It's almost like this weird Alice in Wonderland time dilating moment where Yes, they saw this other land. They were there long enough to know what the things were called and what things looked like. But also, when they recount the story, it seems that they kind of went in the cave and came back out and suddenly they were just like lost, like confused in the sunlight. And then, of course, this is when the villagers found Agnes and her brother. Yeah, I mean, I think Alice in Wonderland is a great way to put it. You know, kind of just a little lack of memory. And I mean, some forms, depends what kind of form of Alice you're looking at. Right. Some, right. some Alice forgets. Actually, a lot of them Alice forgets, you know, time skips fun or functions differently. And it's it's interesting how they remembered like pieces and I vivid pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like vivid pieces that they remember, but that's just about it. I mean, it's true. And it's a gripping tale, but that's really all the story has to offer as far as background, as far as minute differences and the story details. Like I wanted to offer those as well. But but now let's talk about the theories. Not only the theories that attempt to ground this fantastic story in a practical reality, some are a little bit more in the paranormal realm, which I always appreciate, and then some are addressing it from a folklore standpoint, and, you know, legends and folklore usually are based on something, whether it be a motif or a message. Yeah. We're going to get into all of that. I love that we have three different angles of theories on this one. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, some mysteries, and that's just you know, the way it kind of just crumbles, but some mysteries just kind of lean into like, okay, it's all science-based. Yeah. You know? Yep. Or um, some are just like, it's, it's all the opposite. It's all paranormal. Right. Yeah. There's no way to really mm -hmm. dissect it tangibly, but yeah. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp. The end of the year season always stirs up a mix of emotions, doesn't it, Task Force? It's natural to feel a bit overwhelmed or even a touch of sadness this time of year. That's where therapy comes in. It's like a little beacon of light amid all the chaos that can help you develop the tools to navigate the roller coaster of the season. If you're thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. The best part is it's entirely done online. Love that part. And it makes it super convenient no matter what your schedule is. It's super flexible and it's tailored just to you. You fill out a quick questionnaire and then they match you with a licensed therapist super easily. And uh, I love that fact. I love the questionnaire that they have. It's super approachable. It's not too in-depth, but it's just in-depth enough so they can get to know your personal needs and find you the right person. And I love the fact that you can switch to a different therapist at any time. That is the most essential part is finding somebody that connects with you and they make it so easy. Because going into therapy for the first time can be a very daunting task. BetterHelp makes it easier for you. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash RedWeb to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash RedWeb. This episode of RedWeb is sponsored by Uncommon Goods. 
Uncommon Goods makes your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your shopping list. Whether it's your secret Santa or your entire family, it doesn't matter. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. to make the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. I love that. So not only are you giving to your friends and family for the holiday season, you are also giving to a nonprofit. And I also love that they have a wide swath of products I've never even seen. Again, their name says it all. It's yeah. uncommon. I mean, the way they categorize it, too, it makes it so easy, especially for the holiday season when everyone, um, like me, or mm -hmm, maybe not mm -hmm. me, but maybe people that are, you know, just shop last second. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, right. you can, they have categories like gifts under $50, gifts under $100, customer favorites, like gifts for birthdays, weddings, anniversary gifts. So it's nice to, like, just kind of pinpoint what kind of specific celebration you're aiming for and go right to it. Absolutely. And then when you don't, you got that list, they say, let's put a price point on it, anything under 50. You got a tab for it, like Fredo said. And their products are all really special, and so it can make it, and it just makes scouring the internet a lot easier when you can go to one place. You don't want to be the person giving another gift card. No way. No way. You don't want holiday cards flying out the wazoo. You want to give something thoughtful. To get 15% off your next gift task force, go to uncommongoods.com slash redweb. Again, that's uncommongoods.com slash redweb for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, they are all out of the ordinary. So a theory proposed in 1998 by 14 times was that the green children of Woolpit were Flemish immigrants. Many Flemish people moved to England in the 12th century, though they were persecuted and some were killed by King Henry II. The gibberish that they were then kind of described as speaking could have been Dutch, and perhaps the people of Woolpit just weren't familiar with that language. And if you hear any language for the very first time, it's going to feel a little odd. That's true. You think about it, like, we're exposed to at least hearing different languages, right? Mm -hmm. Because of entertainment and the internet, oh, all yeah. that. But, like, way back then, where you could only travel so far, you know? Who knows? Oh, yeah. You grew up in a very small village. You think of the movie The Village, you know, like they yeah. only know each other, yeah. or at least they're very the kids. much concealed and contained. And even yeah. here, it's just, it could just be more so, well, we have everything we need here. You go traveling further, you have less. Yeah. It's all unknown. Yeah, you for can sure. You go so far. It's expensive to travel in the 1100s. Yeah, also, you know I mean? it's just like dangerous. How, right? Like grabbing a boat or was, was much of the world charted at that point god that's a good question you know what i mean like it starts to get so far back i'm just like wait how efficient yeah. were boats yeah how like was it a luxury back then I, you know it's all possible <laughs> i admit my full ignorance on this time frame of humanity right like yeah I you mean, know we're no historians <laughs> right you know i know my big hits like the medieval ages the dark times right, right? you know like magellan but like even that, yeah, was a dangerous exploration. You could pick up all sorts of worldly diseases that you had no idea about. Uh, you're you're encountering a whole lot of people of different backgrounds, and it's just like it was dangerous and, and a lengthy endeavor just yeah. doing that. So yeah, a small village, likely not a worldly populace. 
Either way, Agnes and her brother may have been orphaned as a result of this persecution, and eventually they grew ill from starving and became malnourished. We'll talk a little bit more about that throughout some of these theories, but in particular, this theory says that they may have been suffering from hypochromic anemia, also known as chlorosis. This is a type of anemia that makes the red blood cells much smaller and paler than you would see in a normal healthy person. It's often caused by the lack of iron, i.e. malnourishment, blood loss, blood disorders, or things like lead poisoning. Symptoms can include fatigue, dry skin, dizziness, increased heart rate, lack of an appetite, and green skin. The dizziness from, you know, seeing the sun, you know, that is symptoms. Wow, that's an actual thing. Yeah. Okay, so we have science backing the color of their skin. Because mm-hmm. that, for me, I was like, okay, well, that one's off, off the bat. I was like, that's the wild part right there, green for skin. Sure. But... Yeah, yeah, I could yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's different things that change your skin color in severe situations. Absolutely. And I don't know how vivid green it would be, but to right. a healthy population in this village, you'd be like, that's green, right? Yeah. Like, that's way yeah. more green. But of course, this would explain why that greenish hue went away as they started to eat a more healthy, well-rounded diet. And That connects. Would, yeah, and it would also explain the fava beans. I mean, they're eating these fava beans because, you know, they do need to eat. But because of their lack of appetite, and I speak from firsthand, just a few weeks ago I was ill, I was like, I'd feel nauseous if I had more than like three bites of anything. And so if they're looking at food with this lack of appetite, becomes that vicious cycle, the malnourishment, lack of appetite, you know, not feeling well. Yeah. And so all that kind of corrected as they began to eat properly. Yeah. And then the brother, the younger brother passed away because of just going malnourished for so long. Totally. Totally. Huh. Yeah. I will say in regards to your note about the severity of the green skin and looking at example pictures mm-hmm. for, for research on the outline, they're not necessarily looking like the Hulk, you know, <laughs> okay, full-blown right. green, but it is it is a noticeable green tint to the Got skin. It. Yeah. Which is definitely not a common natural pigment that you would see, right? Exactly. So of course it would stand out. Exactly. And, and it would be notable, just like uh, the blue people of Kentucky, mm-hmm. when it's like, you, which was a, a much more vivid, actually. But like... It stands out. So this theory also states that Agnes and her brother may have also come to Woolpit from Fornham St. Martin, which is also in Suffolk and about 10 miles, 1.6 kilometers from Woolpit. Agnes may have misremembered the name considering she was so young and didn't really know English at the time. And they may have spent time in the nearby Thetford Forest, which has very little light and many cave systems. Though this area is further to the north of Woolpit and Fornham St. Martin, some small wrinkle, but it does answer some of what their memory has to offer. In fact, at Bury St. Edmunds, another nearby town, bell chimes could be heard often. So it connects a lot of the residual details. Yeah, it's filling in a lot of the gaps nicely. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, I don't know enough about England and history to pull this one apart. It's not answering everything succinctly, but also you could say that part of that could be the child's memory. It could also be the malnourishment coming into play. I mean. The fact that there's no known family members that came to, to, to the table. It's like there's a lot of details missing on the experiential side in general. But this theory does fill in some gaps. Yeah, it lines up nicely. And I, I mean, it doesn't make for this like type of fantasy story being mm-hmm. woven. It kind of grounds it a bit more. Yeah. But I mean, you know what I mean? I'm more of a skeptic. So I'm sitting here going... Well, okay, so what was the scientific reason for the green skin? Yeah, yeah. And there's another one. 
and we're going to dive into it right now. So another more realistic, more grounded theory, as you put it, is that the children might have been suffering from arsenic poisoning. So this theory stems from a slightly different version of the story of the green children of Woolpit. This story claims that the children were in Norfolk, kind of like the previous theory, yet that they were poisoned by their uncle or caretaker, whoever their kind of guardian was. Guardian was yeah. yeah. So this story goes on to say that the uncle left the children in the woods to die, yet they survived and eventually found their way to Woolpit. This is perhaps why no parent, figure, guardian, or anything came forward. It could also address a few things. Because, and it, we've talked about arsenic poisoning a few times in this show, specifically like the Bell Witch Haunting. Fantastic episode if you want to check it out. But some of the symptoms include nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, and sore throat, abnormal heart rate, low blood pressure, the feeling of pins and needles, a garlic-like odor, and long-term exposure can cause skin lesions and the changing in skin color, as well as things like cancer. In extreme cases, in fact, arsenic can cause hallucinations, and these hallucinations could explain why the children thought that they might have been from another world, some subterranean kind of location, though this theory doesn't really explain the unknown language. Yes, but could they be delusional enough to just start speaking gibberish? Absolutely, um, it's totally possible. The thing that doesn't fill in the gap for me is just the loss of memory, which when you're reading that list of stuff, I was like, okay, where is it? Right. And I'm like, it's nailing this and nailing that. Yeah, because then how would they forget their uncle? It, it at least seems like they were old enough to remember, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, having someone. Yeah, it's it seems like they remember literally nothing. Except yeah. for, and, and remember, actually, I take that back. Agnes refers to working on her father's farm. True. Feeding the livestock, in a sense. So that is interesting that but an uncle But it does seem like play. it would be... Right, the forgetting of the uncle, yeah. but also arsenic seems like it does take time. So it'd have to be a reoccurring thing, right? Yeah. Unless it was the inadvertent natural poisoning. I I don't know. It's, it's an interesting angle. And it, again, it's more pragmatic. It has a few more holes in it. And, and there is something to be said about memory loss due to trauma. Again, if you take stock in this particular angle of the story, I don't know what else it has to say about the uncle relationship, but if you're in a position where this person is poisoning somebody, it's not a bright and colorful relationship. True. But yeah, I don't know. It is something to think about, and it is a different way to answer for the green skin. It is. It's just not as well-rounded as the previous one. Right. I think it's a little less... Uh, Maybe accurate. I don't yeah, know. but I do like, you know, as always, exploring mm -hmm. all the little, like, theories regardless of, like, some having more weight than others. Yeah. Now I'll give you five bucks if you can guess this next theory. I do this every time he knows what it is. The aliens? Oh, baby. <laughs> five bucks coming your way. <laughs> so, I jest. I jest. But there's an interesting angle to this one. A historical one. So many people in modern times, of course, have suggested aliens. I think aliens have become kind of a meme, both in one sense, we have a lot of sightings, but on the other side, it is commonly like the go-to of our current era. If you don't know what it is, it's aliens. And so on one hand, you have the skeptics. On the other hand, you have the believers. Of course, there's a spectrum there, but I don't know. I don't want to make light of the alien thing. It is funny sometimes how shoehorned in it is, but either way, this particular theory, the idea of aliens, isn't just a modern one. 
It's a theory that presented itself as early as 1621, a time where you really don't hear about otherworldly beings. No, I didn't even think about that. That's a very interesting, like, just thought. Like, way back when, way before, like, you know, the Hollywood chewed up the thought of, like, aliens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what were they thinking back then? I guess more so back then it would be, like, gods. Definitely. Uh, you know what I mean? If, if anything more religious like that, more religious iconography. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at some point, yeah, I'm sure someone was like, it must be gross with tentacles and, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And and, and I'm, I'm so happy you said that because this one kind of straddles that religious angle, but also does bring in some interesting points to make it more, if you will, scientific to address otherworldly life forms, right? So in the Anatomy of Melancholy, a medical and philosophical text suggesting melancholy may be the cause of many illnesses, among many other topics, Robert Burton proposed that the green children, quote, fell from heaven. But the children claim they came from a cave in an area of twilight, so some have suggested that instead the children came from an underground world. We're going to address all these different angles. Possibly, with regards to this underground world, it's possibly the legendary world of Agartha, a legendary kingdom said to be located somewhere within the surface of the earth, which, again, relates back to the idea of hollow earth. We did a whole episode on that, but basically that this planet has some form of internal ecosystem rich with resources and life. Another writer, Duncan Lunan, suggested in Analog Magazine that the children of Woolpit were aliens that somehow ended up on Earth. It was proposed that their home planet may have had a synchronous orbit around its star, leading to one small area for possible life. Suffice to say, a synchronous orbit is is any object in space, like a planet or a moon or even a satellite, that orbits around something while keeping one face at it. The moon is a great example. It rotates at a specific speed, so as it orbits Earth, it keeps a particular face towards us. And on such a planet, you would have a sun side and a dark side. One would be frigid cold, one would be fiery hot, and somewhere around that rim, that kind of yeah. twilight equator, could be the perfect conditions for life. And that's kind of oh, what the theory says. Oh, I like says. how that solves the twilight thought. Yeah. Like, that's really, really cool. I mean, damn though, like, it just seems like their DNA structure fits ours perfectly, right? Like, these are humans that just so happen to live off planet. And like, that one's hard for me because yeah. you mean to tell me the way that like, the atoms and cells and evolution it literally took the same path as earth with oh, humans oh, yeah. like, all the way down to like the intelligent being being the same looking thing but with green skin right but green skin that eventually faded away, like you right. know what I mean? like, on a totally different planet right yeah. so so exactly like, us oh yeah, right. it completely mimicked it and in much harsher conditions and they had the same if nothing else mouth anatomy yeah and same form of communication. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah, that's the thing. Evolution, I'm like, wow, that was, wow. Yeah. What a coincidence. That must oh, yeah. be the only time in the unknown universe. Right. Jeez. Imagine seeing like an alien planet with all these like gooplorps and six-legged creatures walking around. You're like, wow, this is a really strange, goofy place. You got 50-foot tall flowers and curly trees. Wait a minute. That's a human being down there. 
He's like, la la la, I speak English. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine that? I'm like, that, that guy looks like my, my neighbor Dave. Dave, what are you doing here? It's all another planet. Who's Dave? Are you Dave's? That's but That'd like be so strange. It'd be so strange to finally find another civilization on a planet, galaxy far away, and there's just just us. Wait a minute. He makes a good point. Star Wars, galaxy far, far away. They look an awful lot like a dude from Ohio. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, they do. All right. Now, obviously, every aspect of this alien or even subterranean otherworldly theory relies a lot on assumptions. It doesn't really close the gap as we would like to see with a theory that answers this. It also has no concrete evidence. But, but I it, do love, I know, it. like you said, it's a meme for, it, you know, any theory to have an alien. But I do love seeing how people try and connect aliens to oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's always just like, I gotta do it this time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the idea of thinking about a Twilight world. I mean, that in and of itself is a wonderful thought experiment that very likely exists somewhere in this galaxy, in this universe, perhaps even with life. But another flaw with this particular theory is how did they get here? Where's their memory from it? Is there any other witnesses as to how they got here, why they got here, here versus there, here, you know, somewhere else? It just says that they got here somehow. So I don't know. It's an interesting story. I love it. You know, I always love the idea of the paranormal, the supernatural. I'm always looking for him to be real. I'm looking for that concrete evidence. I know. But I'm going to criticize it along the way. I'm going to make sure it's it's it stands up. But it does kind of resemble some of the modern interpretations of little green men. Or at least when we were growing up, Christian Fredo, it did seem like it was little green men. Now I think we're more in a territory of little gray, gray men. Or beings, I should say. Not men, but... You hmm. know. Yeah, I mean, you're completely correct. At some point within the last five years of like, Oh, we're saying gray aliens a lot as opposed to green aliens. Mm -hmm. I was like, I ain't dang green no more. It might have been me. You know, someone like me anyway. Yeah. Colorblind out there going like, what's that gray thing? And they're like, that green? That green bright thing. green being? Yeah. Mm, no, I, think that's a, I think that's a beautiful soft gray. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's been both. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting it, here yeah. thinking about it. I always remember Little Green Men, but then like when we did the Men in Black episode, we're looking at a lot of famous gray alien examples. And they're it's called like, the grays. Yeah, I guess it's like a cultural thing, maybe? It's just like, what did you grow up hearing? That's like how point. people say soda, but some people say pop. Yeah, Is it one of those Some people things? are right, and some people are wrong. I will say no, I feel like it was really like a, like a Pokemon starter situation where Charizard was just the most, you know, that was the green aliens. Everyone, <laughs> everyone knows green alien Charizard. But as time goes on, people want to mix it up. And they're like, well, Venusaur was better. I'm like, no one liked Venusaur, bro. Like it's, like, you picked the camp like, based on the down. least popular. You, you like, child you know, hipster. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Where it's just like, come on, you had, you had three choices. One of them was a uh, dragon that breathed fire. Another one was a, a turtle with uh, water cannons on his back. And another one was just some green... Sloppy plant thing. <laughs> sloppy, <laughs> sloppy whips, you know, with dead eyes. You know. But you know, as time goes on, people like change things up. So, like, Venusaur was the best. It was my favorite starter. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, they're trying to Mandela affect you. Yeah. You know, just, I don't know about all that. So, that's why Grays are on the up and up. It's true. I also do think it's because of um, people like Bob Lazar, right? Because, mm. like, there's more stories coming out now with people with vivid experiences. And they usually point to gray. And so maybe it's because of these very popular, you know, anecdotes coming to the forefront that might be 
Maybe these guys are like the Venusaur kids. Maybe they're trying to sway it to the unpopular grays. We got to see about green team. Anyway, let's move on. I don't know if they work even. <laughs> um, but I mean, alien hipsters coming in with their like, no, they, they were yeah. great. But the thing is, though, if everyone's saying green and you want to be different and you have some sort of credibility and you say they're gray, then people are like, oh, it's different. It's not like the usual what people say. Yeah. Maybe there's something here. Right. Which reminds me, total non sequitur. And I'm saying this just because I remembered it. It has nothing to do with what you said. But literally yesterday, kicking it in my backyard, just throwing the fris frisbee around, just with myself, using the wind. <laughs> and, uh, and then Damn. what do I see? I look Damn. up a craft, like two plates upturned with a, with a cup on top of it. Like a oh, really? Cup. Yeah, dude, it came down. I saw a little blue man inside, wave. And he zipped <laughs> off. He was also playing the drums. He was what? doing a bit of percussion. What? It and, took then me way too long off. to tell if you were being serious or not. I know. <laughs> and so all I'm trying to say is there might be blues out there. And it See, and it's not go. the blue man group. He there wasn't splashing paint. He's trying to switch it up. Oh Louis. my god. Anyway, <laughs> Venusaur is my favorite. Let's move on. <laughs> so the the last theory is that third angle that I wanted to address. It's it's a fascinating take. So let's dive in. Some people believe that the story of the green children of Woolpit is simply folklore or some form of allegory for something that actually happened. So what could have happened that created this folklore? Well, it could have been an allegory for the Britons, an indigenous group that inhabited England before the Anglo-Saxons, according to medieval historian Geoffrey Jerome Cohen. The legend could tell the story about assimilation. Other historians, such as Martin Welsh, suggest that the inclusion of St. Martin as a figure with connections to the other world, by some accounts, makes this story a, quote, garbled retelling of a harvest ritual related to St. Martin's Day or, serendipitously, Old Halloween. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I said, we're recording this on Halloween, so I thought yeah. this was like a fun little thing. St. Martin is the patron saint of beggars and the poor, which the children could be considered. It is worth noting that other historians disagree with St. Martin having otherworldly connections, but either way, it is an interesting, grounded way to explain this as a folklore you know yeah a different take on the old halloween story then you have k.m briggs folklorist and writer who wrote quote it is to be noticed too that the habitual food of the children was beans the food of the dead end quote it is worth noting that of course beans have different connotations anywhere you are in the world but it could help again folklore and allegories are, are always kind of riddled with metaphor and so when you start to look for symbolic imagery, things like that, like it does help ground it in that sense. So you stop looking for pragmatic answers to why this story was the way it was. And yeah. you start looking for more, oh, this is how it could be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to address that trying to establish some sort of meaning out of a potential folklore, th these three angles are a little flimsy, right? So it's worth asking, where does this story come from? Mm -hmm. And assessing it from that angle, because... Again, if we're going to try to say that this is definitely a folklore, it's worth noting its history. So the story of the children comes from two authors. You have Ralph of Coggeshall and William of Newborough. It's important to note that neither of them witnessed the stories that they retold, nor did they meet either of these children firsthand. So immediately, we know that there's a gap between if this was a historical event, yep and them retelling it, you're going to have some mistellings, some yeah. game of telephone. Or is this a point in the column of this being folklore, right? 
Got it. Because some time went past. In fact, Ralph claimed to have heard the story from Richard de Caen, and his first version was published in 1220. Williams, on the other hand, was published in 1189. But either way, both of these published stories came many decades. Within the hundred years, of course, but many decades after the story took place. So, I don't know. Aspects of the tale could have become embellished in a certain way, leading to more folklore elements to be inserted into it. That kind of knocks out some of the validity of it to me a little bit, because like that game of telephone could shake the, the truth out of it. But either way, I think that is an important note because it, it adds some blur to the entire story. But either way, with the idea of this being folklore, there is no evidence or records that the children of Woolpit even existed. Of course, that shouldn't be surprising, given the time period and being from such a small village. But either way, I love the idea of this being folklore. The picking up of imagery and symbolism is a little shallow, but I do think it helps address some of the holes in the more practical theories. Yeah. And it could also show why this story stood the test of time rather than being lost. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this like folklore angle? It's interesting, but again, there's not a whole lot there. There's not too much that connects to it. Mm-hmm. It's just more so like it's just folklore. Yeah, I mean, I love the St. Martin's Day thing, but it's basically, you know, being the patron saint of beggars and the poor. It's like, it's just the kids. Even you know, then that's else? being questioned too, right? Yeah. Like, right, so. right. So yeah, I think this one just you could poke holes from it from different angles. Yeah, none of the, I'm, I'm just looking at these like three different angles or four mm-hmm. different angles, and none of them really address every piece. They all go, well, the kids could stand for this, but that's it. I mean, I, I think the strongest one of these could be the assimilation story, but it's such a very specific way to tell that story. You know, it's to to like two people moving into a, a small village with green skin. Yeah, it's over the and top. And then kind of becoming part of the town, but then one of them dies, but like... It's so over the top. I'm trying to find like, is it kind of like old school, like very like 12th century... Like storytelling? Sensationalism? Propaganda? Or is it like... Because otherwise I'm missing... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is just interesting. I just like thinking about it through this lens because it's not something that we normally do, but I... Anyway, um, that's the story of the green children of Woolpit. Like I said, not much about the wolf pit itself. No, surprisingly. Yeah. I thought that was going to be way more about this pit. Yeah, but it became more about cave systems, potentially the forest up north. Mm-hmm. Um, man, the idea of it be of it being like Flemish Im- immigrants still feels really strong. Still feels like... But like even then, it's it, I can see how memory. curious it is. the memory it is. loss thing. It is the memory But then loss. again, it's so far back. Who's to say that people, you know... Well, I don't know. Like, that's the thing, right? Who's to say that they didn't just add that piece in about the memory loss? But then again, the the very little that we do have from the sister doesn't really combat that. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's so difficult because so far back. I think mm-hmm. it is interesting, though, that, like, to your point, Alfredo, the the official story that, that, we've, that people first heard came from these two authors, and they heard it secondhand. So already, you know, you're not reporting on the most accurate thing and they're you know this is maybe an assumption on my part they're storytellers maybe they're Mm -hmm. hearing this thing going oh let me talk about this well you know it might be more interesting if i were to say that they didn't speak any english you know who's to say it's not the first theory with the immigrants that's just been embellished embellished that's a good word yeah 
Yeah, that's a great point. And that's why I think the folklore thing stands out so much to me because if nothing else, you can just go, this didn't happen. And you go, well, it does feel like a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. But that is a more historical assessment of it. Otherwise, just theory is that it's a story. Exactly. Um, it's but, just so easy to embellish, right? Yes, 100%. Like if, I could, I could throw a paper on the ground right now and then tell that story, you know, live in front of the task force or something like that. Like, oh, we told the, you know, the green children and we threw, I threw a paper on the ground, but it'd, it'd be just a little bit more of a hit. Um, like emotionally to the audience, like, I threw 10 papers on the ground. Right, he threw right? a book down. Right, right yeah. He threw, I threw like a, book a ream down. of paper. And, and so it's just like, well, it's still accurate. You just... Just make it a little bit more entertaining. It's just a little white lie. Yeah. It doesn't hurt nobody. I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't tell stories. I only tell the truth. And I saw a blue alien. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, this is a very interesting story. And uh, what a way to just, again, I'm going to break the fourth wall for the task force. What a fantastic way to end the workday recording. A little mystery here on Halloween. Very excited to go home, chill, hand out candy to to strange children. <laughs> see how they dress up this year. There's always a theme, you know, like a pervasive theme. I'm expecting a lot of Five Nights at Freddy's masks and things of that nature. Yeah. But uh, that Marvel's been taking it, right? These last couple years, a lot of like Iron Man's and a lot of Cap America's, a lot of Wonder Woman's though. DC's coming back. Yeah, DC will always be around. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Anyway, Task Force, thank you so much for listening as always. If you want to support the show, there's a few ways you can do that. For free, you can share this with any friend that you want to have joined the Task Force. It's a great way to support this show and help spread the love of true crime and mystery. Goes a long way. Absolutely. And another way is by going to redwebpod.com slash first. Sign up for first. It is essentially our Patreon model and it supports us 100%. It's the number one way to financially support this show and we're so grateful for you. And, And as a thank you to you all first members, who join us on the Rooster Teeth site and Rooster Teeth app, we give you a bonus episode of Case Files. So when that comes out in the next couple weeks, you will get an exclusive bonus episode every other week, as well as ad-free listening here on the podcast. Uh, we're also going to do live streams once a month. We do polls every now and then to go to our first member exclusive Discord to come hang out with you guys. And last week, we sat down with you all and did a debrief on the Denver airport mystery so that way you guys could ask us questions and we could kind of look up and dive more in depth into some of the photos some of the theories and just kind of have a good time while doing it it's just a real fun way to hang out with you guys in the task force but again it also supports us 100 there's no middleman in play it all comes straight to the show so with that said fredo i will see you right back here next monday for another mystery 